0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today is Andy Farrell, Brewing Innovation Manager for Bell's Brewery. Welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking to you here. We're speaking remotely, uh, using all the magics of the internet to do so in this kind of COVID era. Um, one of the subjects that uh, we've been working on for the next issue of the Craft Beer and Beer Magazine is low-calorie IPAs. And so the subject and the the thinking around that popped up. We wanted to talk to Andy because he's the one of the prime movers behind... Bell's light hearted low calorie IPA. And so we're going to try to keep the conversation kind of focused in that realm and we'll also talk to Andy about some of the other innovation uh, stuff that he may be working on and uh, some of the th- stuff that he's learned through that process of development for Bell's. Before we do that, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with GD Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel GD ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize, like Russian River, and cassie jacks abby samuel adams and more Trust GD to chill the beer you love. Call GD Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, kickstart your innovation with Old Orchard Craft Juice Concentrates. Old Orchard knows that a strategic seasonal release calendar means higher margins, increased taproom traffic, and secured shelf space for your brand. That's why they collaborate with countless breweries on product development conversations year round. With unique flavors like watermelon, rhubarb, pineapple, and plum, the possibilities are endless. Get your Old Orchard sample kit with free six-pack cooler at www.oldorchard.com brewer. The way we typically start the podcast off is talking about you and your experience in brewing. Uh, you know, everyone's got a history. They don't just get here uh, magically popping out of the, out of midair. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your entree into craft beer and how that turned into a career in the world of brewing.
1: Yeah, abso- absolutely. So um, I guess my, my introduction into craft beer – was uh, th- through my older brother actually, and uh, would love to tell you that you know I was 21 when that started, but uh, it, w- it was a little bit before that actually. <laughs> so um, my my brother was uh, was a fan, very early fan of craft beer was a was a home brewer, uh, extract brewer, and um, you know about the time I was I was getting towards you know 18 years old or so, right. and we- he'd get a beer for me every once in a while and. We started. uh, He started introducing me to uh, to beer that was that was made uh, made in a different way than what you typically saw at the time, and and I guess that was my real introduction. Um, As far as as the career went, I have a I have a pretty unique story. Um, So I'm going on 20 years at Bell's, 20 years in the industry, and um, it really started with um, sort of being a a bit of a lost soul college student. who was uh, I was kind of meandering my way through my early twenties, uh, right. in and out of uh, in and out of school, to be honest with you. And uh, uh, my parents were always very helpful, wasting their money a little bit. And uh, there there came a point where a job at Bell's opened up, and uh, uh, at that point, um, the the culture around brewing really spoke to me. Uh, I was not looking to. Um, have a nine to five job where I wore khakis and, uh, you know, Oxford shirts or anything like that. Uh, so, um, you know, it was like, Hey, here's a decent job. I, I didn't have, um, I, I, I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. And I, I took an entry level job at Bell's. So, um, I actually started out, this was, uh, in the year 2000, we were still kegging, the majority of our beer in hof stevens kegs at the time and my first job at bells was uh ha- hand washing hof stevens keg on a kegs on a on a three uh, sort of three vessel uh keg washer
0: so it's a history of paying your dues
1: oh yeah it was it was <laughs> it was glorious what a what what a job that
0: was how would you segue in, into the uh, the brewing side of the of the bells yeah. business
1: so um, at the time uh, we were packaging, we were kind of doing, um, you would kind of do everything uh, at the time. I I don't know how familiar people are with our brewery. Um,
0: in I know it's because you guys are such a tiny little brewery, and and no one's really never no one's really heard of you. Well,
1: you know I mean, out, <laughs> out in your neck of the woods, a bunch of people moved from Michigan, so I think I think in Colorado we're we're pretty well known. Um, at the time when I started, the brewery was still in Kalamazoo, which is uh, you know where where our cafe is to this day. There's still um, a brewery that runs down there actually, and it's a brewery that reports up through my group, uh, you know, to this day. At the time though, the production brewery was down there. Um, And, uh, you know, this is before we built our our large facility that's about eight miles outside of downtown Kalamazoo. Uh, And, you know, really, really, it was through opportunity. I I realized pretty quickly going back to, um, you know, looking for direction. I realized pretty quickly, um, almost immediately, uh, sort of the the alchemy that is brewing became very interesting to me, you know, and I was like, oh, this is. This is something that that I already knew a little bit about uh, and was interested in and felt like culturally I fit pretty well with the people uh, that I knew. So so I worked really hard. Uh, I was willing to uh, I'd work long hours. I would do the shitty jobs. I would do all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, about, oh, I don't know, about 18 months or two years in eh, about 18 months into my job there, I had. um, as working in packaging I, I started uh, and kind of was a, a leader on uh, our first automated keg line and uh, an opportunity opened up in our fermentation cellar our um, department and I had I, I had worked really hard I had talking to the people that were running our brewery at the time I was very interested in in moving up and uh, an opportunity happened there and I, I started working in the cellar and that was in the spring of 2002. And after that point, everything just kind of took off from there.
0: So, talk to me. How long have you been in this position as uh, as innovation manager? Innovation manager was a was a position that. Um, so, I'm, I'm I'm the first
1: innovation manager in Bell's. <laughs> uh, it was a position that did not exist before I took it, and I guess I've been in this position now for about four years, just over four years. Um, initially. Uh, or, or for very long I, I became head brewer at Bells in 2011. And obviously in the head brewer role, uh, which I guess technically, I don't even know if that if that role exists in the way our brewery is currently structured right. anymore, but certainly the responsibilities still exist. And at the time that responsibility was obviously day-to-day brewing. You manage the brew house, you manage the brewers right. who operated in the brew house. And then um, we were sort of booming at the time, and product development was always very important to us, but it it was not quite the focus that it became in, in the years directly after that. So a new product idea would pop up and that would that was just kind of added on to your added on to your responsibility <laughs> with honor with, with everything else. Um, you know, at this point now, we've got our original Uh, brewery we call B1 that's located at our cafe that brewery has a 15 barrel and a three barrel brew house and then we built a a state-of-the-art pilot brewery at at the uh, production facility that's been going for about two years Uh, that's a 15 hectoliter fully automated really scalable to our production brew houses uh, type of brewery and all three of those breweries are in my under my purview now at that time um, you know there were times where we would run like 50-barrel test batches uh, <laughs> you know, of things. So the resources um, are are much more significant now. And in a lot of ways, I think the timing of the creation of this role had to do with the idea that, that we recognized we needed a
0: space like the pilot brewery that we've built to start figuring this stuff out. It is interesting, and there's that kind of common thread amongst you know, uh, production focused breweries at the scale of bells, um, where a number of years ago, everyone, as, as this kind of new product cycle became a dominant force in the world of craft beer, where having something new for drinkers became even more important and a reason that they would actually buy things. Um, it, a lot of folks, you know, made that kind of investment, created those kinds of positions, you know, built those kinds of, uh, you know, of, um, innovation kind of breweries uh, just to speed that process up. Talk to me about some of uh, the early projects that you worked on and some uh, interesting things that you may have learned in the process on some of those uh, early product development projects. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting just, just to echo the point you made uh, previously. I think when you think about where a breweries of our size um you know, kind of that weight class where we were before this new product cycle really, really kicked into high gear, we were all at a point where um everybody was booming, everybody was growing a ton, and just getting the beers that you already had in your portfolio out to everybody that wanted them was the challenge. And I think what you saw in the, you know, the late aughts, early 2010s were people investing in capacity, you know, at, at that point and taking their breweries to the next level from, in terms of capability to produce volume after that, once you get that rectified, then it's time, then it's time to focus on, um, on, uh, you know, the, the new products, uh, thing, uh, with, with your other question, you know, where I really started cutting my chops, um, on developing new beers was during a period I had transitioned into, um, into uh, being uh, working in the brew house, so I was I was a shift brewer in the brew house. This was in about 2007, and uh, my boss at the time, uh, Ken Baylau, he was he was the head brewer at the time, and we oversaw the B1 Brewery as well, uh, which was had become the pub brewery. Um, you know, it was a 15 barrel pub brewery, not super focused on new brands at the time, more focused on maybe supplying the pub with uh, with portfolio. Beers, whatever. And um, in about 2008, I got an opportunity to start going down there and working with um, another brewer, a great friend of mine, who was um, who was kind of running the show down there. And um, that's re- you know that's really where we started cutting our chops um, on, on some of this new product stuff and, and developing some interesting beers. And, and a lot of things came from there trying to think of, you know, some of the projects, certainly the early days of, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that we've had a, we've had a sour beer program at our brewery for, uh, (laughs) you know, 15 years almost, maybe maybe 13 years, something like that. So um, that was a huge early focus was, you know, um, looking at uh, bacteria and wild yeast and and barrel aged beers, things like that. and then and then hops, uh, which still continue uh, in a lot of ways, uh, as new varieties come out and, and we all are learning different ways to extract unique flavors from hops. Let's be honest, everyone knows hops are king in, in U.S. brewing. And um, getting an opportunity to go down there and build different IPAs, uh, things that weren't, you know, I, I think everybody knows too hard to ale. All centennial, all centennial hops, but us building uh, beers with other unique hops sort of launched us into into our next kind of uh, you know cycle of looking at what to do next.
0: I would love to talk to you about some of the stuff you learned about some of those hops experiments. Uh, But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Hopsteiner, your premium hop supplier dedicated to delivering quality hops and hop products in every package. Visit hopsteiner.com for a complete list of offerings or select Shop Hops to start ordering today. Also, Skaf Fabricating is excited to introduce the newest player in their all-star lineup of canning automation, the Magic Bus, a fully automatic can depalletizer with pallet management. No more pouring time and labor into the manual handling of pallets, top frames, and tier sheets, on your canning line packaging teams can simply load cans deband and press start to learn more contact sca today at 970 403 8562 or reach out online at dot-com you mentioned hops learning and this is a common thread that i hear you know when talking to you know that kind of innovation brewers that uh, understanding uh, more so not just flavor alone but also Interaction with yeast, interaction with malt, um, impacts on all of the other, you know, kinds of uh, elements of a recipe are pretty significant, especially as you, you know, delve out of these things. You know, hops are more than just a one-to-one flavor replacement um, in any kind of recipe. Talk to me a little bit about some of the interesting findings through some of your uh, brewing and uh, with some new hop varieties and how that has... Uh, impacted the way that you've developed some new beers?
1: Yeah. So, um, around hops, you know, there, there came a point, I think that the market drove some of it for one. Um, there were points in the, in the 2000s, certainly, um, getting around the 2000, you know, seven to 10, 11 era where there were a lot of interesting hops. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, breeding innovation going on in Yakima and, and, and out west and new, new varieties. And the availability of those varieties was was tough. So, um, you know, one of the things that I learned quickly was um, as you're building uh, a hot profile uh, for, for an IPA or a hot forward beer, it's good to find dance partners. It's good to find hops that that, that work well with each other. And you know, I, I certainly—that's—I'm not saying anything novel there at all. Um, you know, there was a point where we were where we were building um, building new hop forward beers, and um, you know, some of these years when uh, maybe the centennial crop was was problematic, and and we were looking at contracts that were maybe going to come in short. Things like this. And, you know, we would we would talk to um, our partners out west and and I, you know, it, the, the irony that, you know, the brewery that has, you know, one of the better known single hop variety IPAs in the country were we were swearing up and down that we would never build a single hop IPA ever again was was not lost on people. It was it was pretty funny. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. Um Other, you know, other really interesting things I, you know, raw materials, I'm very passionate about brewing raw materials and part of our hop selection team. And as, uh, you know, as that developed earlier part of, of this decade, you know, I've been, I've been part of that team now for, for going on 10 years, but sort of that, that transition from a hop that rubs really well when you check it out for the first time and then how to apply that to a beer, um, I, you know it it's almost like it's almost like wizardry because not everything that smells great in your hands uh comes comes through in a beer. Uh, you gotta be ready to try stuff and you've got to be ready to cut bait um when it doesn't work that that's
0: for sure are there are there some traits that you find uh, you know in particular consistently don't follow through um you know or, or there are there some commonalities between you know, that difference between the rub and the brew? I think the biggest thing
1: that I would say there, we, we have found some commonalities in hops that we've really liked rubbing that don't necessarily translate well to hop forward beers. One of them is um, maybe the impact of the hop is not as high. There's this there's this hop character, my boss, John Mallon and I, there's there's this hop character that we love when we rub hops. It's It's like this light lemon cleaner type thing. And, you know, we used to rub these really delicate hops out in uh, in some of the um, some of the breeding yards out west and, and we'd pick it up and it'd be like, oh, man, if we could just if we could just carry that over to a beer, man, it would be amazing. You know, and, uh, you know, what we found out is that is that light, light lemon or light orange um is really hard to translate into a beer. You know, the the brewing process is a volatile process and those, those uh, compounds that drive that character are are volatile and delicate and you drive them off and they're really, they're really hard to get in uh, to a finished beer out of a delicate hop. So number one, you got to find impact.
0: I guess you can, you can dial down, you know, the mix later on, but uh, if you start low, then if you start low, it's tough. yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so impactful is important and then after impactful I think I think it's really about in some ways It's about personal preference, you know, we we like hops that carry a good amount of fruit We like tropical fruit. We like the pineapple and the mango and the guava hops just like everybody Some some people are like a you know, a, a hop that's really dank um, or you know is impactful in that way and um it's it's really just about finding the varieties that are interesting to you and being able to identify the character that you think is going to work well in your process. And you got to keep in mind that the yeast you use and the equipment you use, your brewing water, all these things are part of a matrix. And what works for one brewery is just not necessarily going to work
0: for another. You know. For sure. How do you all get on the same kind of sensory page around some of this uh, hop selection? obviously you're right. It is a personal process, but at the same time you want the beers from bells to have a bells character to them. And you want that kind of character to, um, be understandable both to consumers and through the staff and the brew house. Um, how do you build that kind of common page for you all to sit on? Sure. So in, in terms of like, um, like The
1: selection group, making sure the sure. selection group is on the same page, sure,
0: yeah, and then and the, even the validation process later on, you know, once people are, are getting, once those are in the brew house, figuring out if they are meeting, if they are what you thought they were when they came when you selected sure. initially, yeah, that
1: can be that that part is particularly tricky when you're talking about, um, you know small amounts of experimental hops that you bring in to do experimental right. brewing we, we we do a good amount of that in our pilot brewery and particularly at our pub brewery uh, we're, we're playing with hops like that all the time in terms of you know kind of commonality um around selection that that was a really interesting process you know John and I uh, John had been going out there he's obviously been going out sure. there far longer than I have. I think Centennial is probably the easiest way for me to talk about it because what happened when we started selecting Centennial together is that we slowly started to build a lexicon and it would be like, um, you know, this smells, this is, oh, that lot had a bunch of cherry. That lot had a, had a lot of pine to me, whatever it was. And we would kind of kick that back and forth to each other. And eventually we built almost, um, I mean, we did build, we built a lexicon for, for, you know, two to four of our most uh, important hops that we, um, that we select and we buy the most of, we actually have attributes that, that we score together. So we'll, we'll select um, blind. Uh, we do, You know, all the grower codes are available. Pick dates are available. We don't want to know any of that because um, we've been going out there long enough that it'll bias us. And what we like to do is, is we select and then we score the attributes and we talk to each other um, about it afterwards and get and get on the same page. There's some negative attributes that we look for as well. Mm-hmm. The interesting part is bringing it out. We we bring out folks that haven't gone out there every year because it's a great learning experience and there is a ton of value in doing that. Um, we tend to bring out people that we know have, have a good uh, eye towards sensory people that have, you know, that skill, that lexicon, and then we bring them out. And, and I mean, in some years, um, you know you'll you'll have someone who who's never done a rub with you before he'll point something out to you and it'll be really enlightening you're like man you know holy shit i never thought of that so 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 that's been really interesting i guess um back to the question about when they come back to the brewery with our big hop varieties that we bring in what we'll do we'll get them back um obviously depending on things like uh HSI, other things that hop drive the yeah, index. Yeah, yeah, exactly. D- depending on uh, when they need to be pelleted, things like that will drive how quickly they get back to the brewery. When they get back, what we'll do is we'll we'll probably run a production trial where we dry hop with the new lot and do some comparative sensory there. Um, and then it's usually a slow transition if if we have some of the remaining uh, year left over that. Um, as we validate through our sensory program that it's good, it's true to type, hey, maybe even more impactful because the hops are fresher, then it's time to start transitioning the previous year's hops into like a hot side application and um, and then transition into the new crop.
0: And you blend then between those crop years or
1: what we tend to do, I mean it it, it, it depends.'ll sure, we, we'll sure. have we'll have like rabbit hole conversations with the, the, a few of us <laughs> that are involved in it. just go down uh go go way down deep on it yeah um but what we tend to do is that when we get the fresh hops in we validate the dry hop character to make sure that that is true to type and not markedly different once we do that we think of the fresher hops as the better hops for dry hopping and it will be a blend and the blend will be current year or most most current year using the dry hop and um the year uh, previous could be used in a hot side application, whether that's, uh, you know, these days we're throwing a ton of hops in the whirlpool on most of our IPA recipes and l- less in the kettle than ever. Yeah. Um, but uh,
0: that's, um, you know, that's sort of the way we do that. So that's an interesting point. I'm curious about that. You know, you, obviously you want to keep the brand, the what consumers feel the brand is consistent, but you're obviously also changing, you know, the process around that and how do you manage that shift over time? Yeah. I mean, that,
1: that, that is, uh, it is really tricky. Um, you know, in terms of, of, of managing, you think about brewing, uh, in particular, our, um, you know, our malt and our hops, and those are agricultural products, obviously. And, different conditions in different years you know make them different so um you know what we do we we really do believe that the way we select our hops is paramount to the consistency of our beer Um, and that's what that's why we invest the time um you know we're we're not one of these breweries that's out on the west coast we're not even in you know we're not even in the mountains um, and able to just, you know, jump over there. For us, it's, it's, it's a good haul across the country. We're not out there all the time. Right. Um, so talking, you know, we've certainly gotten to a place where um, we're, we buy a lot of hops from suppliers. Uh, we know farms that we buy. We, we do some direct relationships with farms. And, and talking to our suppliers and farmers about what we're interested in is, is important as well. And then the hope is that um, year in year out, you find you know you find things that are that are in the same vein, and that you can transition smoothly. I will say that over the last number of years, the the crops out there have gotten very consistent. Um, and and personally, I, I we've seen consistent quality across the board that make, that makes it a lot easier. There's been a lot of infrastructure investment, um, particularly in, in Yakima. Uh, Idaho and Oregon, and you know the, the hop industry is really is really up their game. There's just no doubt about it, um, and that makes our jobs a little easier, I guess.
0: For sure, you know that's a bit of a sideways answer. I'm really curious about um, how, in a sense, as you mentioned, you're pulling hot side additions out, pushing more into or pushing more into the whirlpool rather than er- sure. earlier on the hot side, and potentially also dry hopping more. Um, You know, is there a greater appreciation on the consumer side for the aromatic qualities of those hops? How is the overall usage of hops? Because when you start doing that, you're moving away from pure bitterness. You're changing the kind of perception of the bitterness. Consumers are all very attuned to now that quality of bitterness and Dang, the kind soft of bitterness and that ragged kind of rough bitterness that might've been okay in the aughts is just not cool these days. Um, but that also means potentially you increasing the amount of hops that you use. And for a company like Bell's that makes as much beer as you do in this kind of style, like those all have major impacts. Talk to me a little bit about some of that shift that you've seen. Shh. Sure. So, you know,
1: you know, in terms in terms of Two-Hearted, I'll I'll tell you, we haven't we have not changed that for that beer. And I think one of the reasons we haven't had to do that is that Two-Hearted was always uh, and is it's a very balanced IPA, you know,
0: Um, so it's a repeated um, position in one, two or three in our craft beer and brewing reader poll of favorite beers. Uh, I mean, it's been there every single year. in one of those top positions is certainly testament and not just for us as G and, and others as well is testament to the overall quality and consistency of that beer for sure. So, so, so there's a
1: balance there. There was, ne- it was never an overly bitter beer. Um, another thing, you know, that I'll, that I'll tell you about two hearted that that really jives well with um, with where hops or hop forward beers have gone in the modern context is, uh, our dry hop timing for that beer was always earlier than most people did it. We've always been a primary, a primary fermentation, uh, dry hop brewery. Uh, and what we found is some of the other, some of the other techniques that people utilize for us does not, um, And again, it could be matrix dependent based on on the way we build our beers, who knows, but we don't get the the hop character that we're looking for. So, um, you know, when I think about some of our, of our newer brands, we're definitely doing even earlier dry hopping than than we had before. Some of this double dry hopping stuff, staying away from the kettle entirely. But when you think about two hearted, um, the hops are always going in at about 96 hours into fermentation Um, and the reality is is the interaction of of the hops of those hops and the yeast have always been a part of that beer now you compare two hearted in the modern context to these juice bomb ipas by no means is it that sure, we all sure. know that that it's not right. that but i do think that some of that um you know some of almost uh, like the intangible quality of that beer has, has been driven um, by the fact that that was always our process uh, as far, you know, it, it getting on to, you know, the comments about modern IPAs and how they get built. I mean, when we're, when we're building new beers, like, you know, in the pilot brewery, we're, we're messing around with IPAs all the time. And, and, most of the recipes that I'm putting together, uh, if there's if there's anything going into the kettle, I in fact, I don't know if I rem- I don't know that I've written an IPA recipe with hops in the kettle a new <laughs> one within the last couple of years. Lighthearted does have a very it, it has a has a minimal minimal amount of alpha going in to the kettle, so so minimal hop strike. About about twenty percent of the alpha goes in in the kettle. The rest of it's whirlpool on this one too. So the way that the way that I look at it as an innovation manager, especially with brands that we know are successful and and have a strong base, uh, you don't want, you don't need to mess with what works. But the opportunity to make new beers in in, in that new vein is there and you're you're doing yourself a disservice if you just uh you know if if i said the hop schedule for all ipas at bell's is the hop schedule two-hearted uses well you know that that's not going to work for
0: new products right. you know
1: it's just not so
0: let's uh let's talk a little bit about light-hearted obviously uh, that was kind of the the uh, uh reason that we're having this conversation at all before we do that this episode is brought to you by brewers publications Publishers of Historical Brewing Techniques, The Lost Art of Farmhouse Brewing by Lars Marius Garshall equal parts history, cultural anthropology, social science, and travelogue. Historical Brewing Techniques describes Northern European farmhouse brewing and fermentation methods that are vastly different from modern craft brewing. Order your copy of Historical Brewing Techniques today at BrewersPublications.com. Also, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep dive email only for all-access subscribers, premium content, and all access exclusive merchandise. Go to beerandbring.com and click on the subscribe button to join now. So lighthearted. Um, I'm on my second can uh, over the course of this podcast now, and I'm enjoying the fact that I can drink this beer that is under 4% alcohol, um, and continue drinking it uh, and not uh, lose my, portion of the conversation here um one of the things i noticed when looking at ingredients and mix was they use galaxy hops in this one um and i I in particular found that to be an interesting choice given number one the galaxy hops are rather expensive especially for something like a low calorie easy crushable um You know, six pack that I just paid $11 at a store for, you know, and so it it suggested to me that there's some other reason that you use this, uh, in the mix here, since we're talking about hops, talk to me a little bit about how that hops mix in this kind of very low calorie, very light IPA, um, becomes so important.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it it was interesting. And, um, what I, what I would tell you about this project. So we knew we sort of had a a a target we knew that this was a an area in um you know in terms of our portfolio that we really wanted to target so we had about three or four ideas going in our pilot brewery at the time and one of them was what uh the working title was like juicy session ipa and uh, in that in that beer i had galaxy along with a, a couple other really really nice hops and uh the the beer was was really nice and um it kind of came down to um you know the the decision to move ahead with 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 lighthearted uh there were a lot of factors in there and when it happened um the initial run we had done at lighthearted i had kind of brewed that beer prior to us fully committing to the low calorie, uh, uh, sort of idea here. Okay. And what we did was we just scaled down a normal, a normal batch, two hearted. And I targeted, I don't know, like four and a half percent alcohol. It was like four and a half percent ABV, 130 calories, something like that. Just kind of your typical session IPA. Um, and what I found with that beer and, 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 we all tend to agree. It was a little bit hollow, you know, there was just, it just didn't have, um, there was just something missing. Uh, you know, we use sort of these goofy terms sometimes at our brewery and John and I were talking about it and we were like, we were in the room with a, a bunch of sales and marketing people and we were telling them that the middle was hollow and they, you know, they're like, what the <laughs> fuck are what, what, what are you talking about? And we're like, just trust us. The middle's hollow on this beer. So, um, when we, when we, had kind of honed in on the idea that we wanted to do lighthearted as much as anything, you know, I had been working with uh, a supplier. I I love, I love galaxy for one and have, you know, actively um, really been trying to look for a way to implement it into one of our beers. And as we focused on the, the first sort of locale iteration of this. Right. I thought, you know, let, let, let's take a crack at it using it that way. And what I found is that it really elevated, um, really elevated the hop character overall. There, there's still a good amount of Centennial in this beer. You have to be really, really careful with the amount of hops that you use in a beer like this. Um, you think about, you know, your, your typical IPA these days goes over 6% alcohol and, you know, people are dry hopping these things at minimum probably two, two and a half pounds, all the way up to five pounds per barrel, maybe for for some of the some of the juicy brewers. And what happens with a beer like this in particular is that um some of the like the non-traditional hop bittering compounds like, um, you know, the, the actual components of the hops themselves, as you dry hop with them, will we'll leave around can be, can leave too much earthiness or too much bitterness. Uh, hot burn is probably a, a pretty common term right. that pe- people use for it. So, um, what I found with this one was was the need to use a subtle hand.
0: Yeah, when you say subtle, what? How subtle are you talking?
1: In terms of like how much? Yeah, yeah we're still we're we're still up near a pound yeah. per barrel. Okay. on this thing. Which was, you know, which would have been not subtle at all 15 years ago. That would have (laughs) been, that would have been, that would have been your typical, that would have been your typical usage. But as we build these things now, um, you know, we, we really are, we're hopping much more heavily than we used to. Um, The other thing about it was from a matrix standpoint, um, when, when I think about two hearted and what, what two hearted is, two hearted's got malt balance. That's one of the big things about two hearted as an IPA. There's malt balance. And the hops, there's obviously, uh, you know, with Centennial, the way that we're hopping with it, there's a citrus component. There is, you know, sort of a, a piney component to it and, and maybe some maybe some red fruit kind of generic fruit character right. that, that comes with it, too. And what we found when we scaled this thing down, the, the malt wasn't there. Sure. Um, the malt on like the the initial probably three trial batches yeah. was not where it needed to be. Like it was really hard to get the beer as dry as we needed to for it to be to have drinkability. Um, that's getting the alcohol where it needs to mm-hmm. be. It's also the way that we're controlling our calories right. as well. And it was really hard to do that um, and still maintain um, you know the malt character that that we. That we believe is synonymous with 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 two-hearted, which this is lighthearted. It needs to be in the same family, you know. Um so that that got to be pretty tricky. And you know, we playing around and getting the the right malt, um, the, the right malt profile behind this beer, along with getting the
0: hopping just right, was it took it it took some playing around with for sure. Now I know there's certainly some proprietary stuff there, and uh, you know, I don't expect you to to share all the secrets. But when you talk about that on, from a malt basis, you know, um, if we look at some of the others that play in this space, like Slightly Mighty from Dogfish Head, they are using monk fruit um, as right. a uh, as something to add some body and a little bit of uh, you know heft to that you know to fill in that hollow middle. Um, you know, uh, Weldworks with Fitbits is doing the same kind of thing, uh, to shoots with, uh, Wowza is added chicory, um, you know, right. for the, the same kind of process to kind of, uh, add something unfermentable, but also, you know, hope, you know, still also trying to maintain the low calorie and, you know, needing to have some heft to it, but also remaining dry. Uh, you know, are, are there some ways that you all helped solve that problem for Lighthearted?
1: So that that was a big that that's a big conversation around our brewery all the time, which is like brewing ethos, which means sort of like um making sure that we stay true to to Bells and what we've always been yeah. um when we build these beers, you know. You know, one of the tricks For sure. You know, I think I think when you look across the sort of the landscape of these brands, you're going to see a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Some of that, some of those other products for uh, for back sweetening and body are certainly there. Um, You know, depending on what that product may be, that may work well with our with our ethos or it may not. What really works best with our ethos is water malt, um, hops and yeast, you know, and and that and that's what we try um, that's what we try to do. The you know one of the other things you're going to see is people playing around with lands or playing around with um, enzyme, right? Sure. Enzymes gonna gonna give you the ability to get the beer very dry. Um, it's gonna take the car the carbohydrate down significantly, and um, that is also not something that works uh, well uh, with our ethos. It's not something that we do. So the challenge with this one really was. Uh, you know, from my perspective or the challenge that, that I was tasked with was making a beer that worked with Bell's um, sort of traditions and ethos and still meeting customer expectation in terms of calories and in terms of flavor. And we did that through, you know, that's really all that's in this beer, water, malt, hops, yeast, and, uh, and, you know, some certainly mashing profile was, was, is part of the consideration when, when you're going to brew that way. Um, and that took, um, it just took, it just took a significant amount of work. Um, and and, you know, that's, that's part of why breweries invest, uh, breweries like ours invest in pilot breweries, which, you know, we we probably took, um, we probably took, you know, at least eight to 10 cracks at this thing, uh, before we even ran a production trial and then ran a couple of production trials too. So it's just, it just, it just takes time and, um. You know, I'd love to say that there's like this, there's this map that you can follow for doing this, <laughs> but um, you know, from my from my perspective, the best way and it'd be probably the most fun way too is to is to is to brew the beer, and uh, make adjustments and 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 you know, learn learn from what you do and and, and try and perfect it as much as possible.
0: So when you mention, you know, mash regimen, I assume you're mashing higher and, and aiming to leave a little more, a little less fermentable um, sugars, a little more kind of dextrin component, um, which can leads you know, give it some of that extra body. Are there malts in particular that you also find, you know, even types of, you know, two row or pale malt or whatever you're using in this that are more beneficial than some others?
1: Yeah. So one of the unique things we do at our brewery is um, our base malt is a blend of a lower color two-row, like uh, American two-row malt and uh, uh, a pale ale malt. It's it's malted by an American malt malting company, but done more in that traditional sort of English pale ale malt. Kind of, uh, kind of tradition. A uh, little higher color, uh,
0: more toasty flavor. That that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a, a solid orangey kind of color, light orangey color to this beer that uh, you it, you know is definitely a little deeper in tone than you might find from some of its contemporaries in the similar category. So what?
1: So what we actually did with this one, two hundred is a really simple recipe. It's it's two row pale ale malt and C forty, and I was worried about what. And we saw this in the in the you know the four and a half percent ABV recipe that I that I sort of mentioned earlier, going with that exact malt profile, left the hollow middle, and the crystal malt where it sat at that percentage was a little more, um, maybe a little more than what you would want on a beer this this light. So we actually t- took a unique approach. We threw a little bit of Munich malt in this thing, hmm. um, not not a bunch, but but enough to uh, sort of support um, support everything else. Uh, it gives it a little more color and it definitely gives it
0: uh, so, some multi-character to, to be sure. Do you find from a performance perspective that uh, over time, given you're also brewing a beer that's got to sit in a variety of kinds of conditions at retailers and still taste good, um, whether it's sitting out warm stored in the middle of a, uh, you know, store stack or whether it's, you know, been fridge kept, um, you know, that that Munich malt performs in a, you know, a different way than say a a C40.
1: Sure. I mean, you know, so, so there is still C40 still in there. I think they're both, they're both actually part of it. What I, what I would say is, you know, there's no doubt that the way a beer is stored and treated and handled affects the customer experience. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that happens at the brewery, particularly when you're part of I've I've been part of our core sensory panel for going on 15 years now, is you you know, you just taste your beers when they're they're at the absolute peak of of awesomeness. You know, the right. they're 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 one day old. Uh, you know, they're they're newborn baby beers when you taste them, and you're just like, oh man, our our beers are are they're always amazing. And you know, and then you're right, you know, you end up uh maybe, maybe you're on a camping trip in the middle of uh you know, wherever the middle of nowhereville, and, uh, you walk into, a <laughs> into a store and see one of your beers and you're like, yeah, right. Let's, let's give this a shot. And you're like, Oh man, what happened to this thing? So, um, that, you know, that, that's certainly a challenge, um, with a beer like this, considering the malt that's there, you know, as it, as it oxidizes over time, it, you know, certainly that malt character could be enhanced. Um, what I would say is that uh, I, we haven't seen that a lot in our sensory studies to this point. Um, so it's been, it seems like it, it it's been holding up well. To be sure, we're you know we're very confident in the in the customer experience that we're going to provide.
0: To be sure. Well, you have some super tight production folks also who. Um- uh, make sure that the beer going out is in the best possible shape for that, that kind of they, aging process. They do,
1: they do it all. That's the, those are, those are the people that deserve the credit. That's for sure. We got that right.
0: Yeah. You know, in terms of, uh, now, I'm thinking of again about the, the hops in this beer. Um, how do you balance that kind of classic centennial character that uh, too hard is known for, with this kind of fun and and funky galaxy angle, you know, is there you know, how do you weigh those those two hands against each other and kind of um find the right balance between these uh quote-unquote dance partners. So
1: the the thought there was that again, this beer is is not an exact light version of Two-Hearted, but being sure. that Two-Hearted was the inspiration there was no doubt that Centennial kind of needed to be the uh, – if, if anyone was leading the dance, it was going to be Centennial. So what it really was was a thought towards um, how do you proportion those out in a way that gives you what you're looking for? And I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I, I sort of made an educated guess. I, um, I go through – I you know and, and it happens when yeah, when yeah, you yeah. write a lot of sure. recipes you get used to doing things a certain right. way you know how it works in your brewery and you almost get like a sixth sense around it
0: and um, you, the, I use the analogy of like you know you're not going to ask a chef how much salt they put into a dish you know like they just know you just have it, a feel for it it, it, sure. it, it does it
1: does happen from time to time but I'll be honest with this one I was like okay you know I, I figured that if I went close to, if I went too close to even 50/50 on the dry hop that it's going to turn into a galaxy beer and i don't think that um galaxy like even even in the within the matrix of that beer i don't even know the galaxy's a great hop to to lead that matrix so in a way what we tried to do was it's like it's still a beer led by centennial with uh, with Galaxy in in strong support and enhancing the character, so maybe it's uh, um, it's certainly not a Galaxy beer, but I think the Galaxy gives a gives it a character that um, it's not going to taste just like a Centennial beer to 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 a customer either, and and that was sort of what we were going for.
0: There's a little bit of a little brighter fruitiness, lemon lime kind of highlight element to it that I think you know the Galaxy probably provides. That's in that overall mix. That's exactly
1: like to sort of brighten up the hop character was that was exactly I could show you the notes that I wrote um, yeah. after I tasted the fr- the first batch and it was just um, you know we we love Centennial it was just it was just a little too heavy. Um, Almost weighty, like kind of weighed the beer down a little bit,
0: yeah, and yeah.
1: the just the use of Galaxy in that way brightens it up and it lightens it up a little bit. And um, it's it, you know certainly was um, a very uh, you know fr- from our perspective effective way to utilize
0: the hop to be sure. It speaks a little bit to to what a lot of brewers talk about is that kind of ABV dependency and impact on hops expression. You know that. Um, the way that something like Centennial may express in a 7.5% beer is going to be you know, or can be vastly different than the way that the same thing expresses in a 3.5% beer. At the same point, like when we taste juicy IPAs, a lot of those beers, honestly, objectively score better, taste better at that 8% range than they do at a 6.5% sure. range. And it's these are small things, but they have significant impacts in that the additional amount of sweetness that you can have because of the additional amount of alcohol helps bring out different kinds of fruit characters. And then, of course, the opposite is true when you get down into the high 3 ABV range where you know, just don't have as much leeway and you have to find really tight, but important impacts and small ways to accomplish those same kind of tweaks. Well, I mean,
1: it's absolutely true. And it's a, it's a great point. You know, the, our fear, one of the fears when we started messing around with this beer is that, you know, at at 3.7%, there's just not that much there. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, give the customer the experience of what it would be like to put a hop cone in their mouth.
0: Um, and that, you know, that was a, we've had those session IPAs before <laughs> they, that was, those were like the 2013, 2014 man, they, session yeah, IPAs they, they're out and there. we can all do without, yeah. we can all do without those beers. They, you they, know? they are out there. So it's, um, you know, you,
1: as much as hops drive the beer, right. You have to remember that like, you know, the best beers are the beers that are built, um, in with, with some kind of matrix, you know, uh, I, I made a joke, actually made this joke earlier today, you know, you want to build a beer with the destination in mind and the recipe being the map, uh, you know, not the, um, not with the destination unknown and hey, look, I built a map and this is what ended up. Um, and I, I think that when you have that in mind, or in the the case of this beer in particular, that was certainly heavy on our minds, which was like, we've got to make sure that this isn't just, you know, nothing but, you know, the, the bitter, the bitter green hop, not, not what we were trying to do, you know?
0: Is there any mouthfeel contribution from the hops themselves? You know, this is, it's another interesting impact where, um, again, not all hops are the same, just from like that simple physical sensation category some tend to you know add a little bit of uh, weight to that kind of middle and uh, you know more so than others um was that a consideration at all in this
1: it, i mean it, it certainly is in um not so much by variety not so much like recognizing yeah. a variety for having that but i would go back to the to the amount of hops used if you have it at the right spot where you use the right amount of hops that maybe that, that little bit of, uh, that little bit of green can almost be a body enhancer. Right. But when you go too far, it goes over the edge really quickly. It's like, it falls off a cliff and then you're left with, uh, not particularly drinkable and not, uh, not, not what you're looking for, you know, not, not balanced.
0: Right. Right. Beyond lighthearted, uh, are there other experiments that you have been working on lately that ha- that have given you some learning moments or changed your mind about certain processes or ingredients or, uh, been counterintuitive that, uh, that you found really interesting?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're working, we're always working on a lot of stuff. Um, you know, big focus, uh, right now we're all, we're always looking at hop, um, hop innovations. Um, one of the kind of holes in our portfolio, um, over, uh, the last six, seven years is sort of that, that hop forward 5% ABV. What would have been an old school English or American pale ale in our portfolio? We haven't had that. So there's been a lot of focus on that. Um, on, on sort of that range of beers. Um, I've been looking at that through, um, the use of maybe some of the, uh, some of the juicy hop, juicy IPA characteristics. Um, we've got an interesting beer that'll be part of a holiday variety pack this year called juicy gossip, which is, uh, just under, just under 5% ABV, um, that uh is dry hopped with I'm trying to remember Strata uh Idaho 7 and Azaka and um you know again I get I guess in terms of like learnings there I would say again um certainly uh nicely hopped beer good amount of hops but again within the matrix of that beer which is much more of the classic you know matrix People we're using an English ale yeast we're doing all you know all of that kind of stuff Um, again, a reasonable hand with the amount of hopping going in the, going into the fermenter for dry hopping was, was very, uh, useful in, in that beer. So some of the earlier versions, uh, that were, um, uh, you know, super heavily hopped way higher hop burn than, than where we ended up with, um, you know, obviously still a respectable amount of hops going into that one, but, uh, um, that was, that was certainly, um, that that's been an interesting experiment. That's another one that we've been that we've been looking at for the better part of 18 months. A bunch of different iterations coming out of both the small breweries uh playing around with a lot of different things. Um we are looking heavily at uh we're playing a lot of, with with fruit right now. Um doing some looking at some fruit kind of brand extensions with Oberon which have been pretty interesting, huh. but also looking at doing, you know, Uh, quick sours, uh, fruited quick sours, things like that, um, which has been, has been really um, interesting as well. And then um, one that we don't quite have rounded up yet, but we're certainly working on is this idea of like an easy drinking. What is, what does the Bell's version of, of, uh, you know, an easy drinking approachable ale look like? And that, that, um, you know, it's like it's like when the most simple recipe that you've written in a decade is the hardest beer to like actually execute correctly. I think that that, that um it you know, it, it's kinda nice to double down on right. your process and uh double down on the quality that you that, that you've established as a brewery to help drive, um to help drive an, an interesting, innovative beer as opposed to uh, you know, maybe relying solely on, on, you know, the use of a lot of, a lot of raw materials.
0: So for sure, for sure. So, you know, in this kind of COVID pandemic era of, of brewery challenges, it's a tough time in general for people that serve beer breweries that make beer. Um, you know, even folks that have been able to maintain volume are still seeing a lot of pain out there and the people, you know, the, the, you know, accounts that are selling their beer, you know, et cetera. Um, but rather than dwell on that negativity, you know, I th- we've talked about that within previous episodes of the podcast. I, I, I don't want to dwell there. What I want to instead look at uh, in, and ask you about is what are you most excited about in terms of what's happening in craft beer now? You know, from a 20-year-plus uh, experience with craft beer, working professionally in craft beer, what do you? What are your positive takeaways about where beer is now uh, versus where it's been in the past? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's
1: a great question, and the, there's there's so much to it. You know, it's uh, it, it's so vastly different based on your perspective, whether that being, uh, you know, being a, a very small new brewer to you know established pub brewery that's been around for a long time to you know to to large regional brewery um like bells um for us what has been um certainly um i guess heartening through this is you know like you said everybody's affected by this thing we've been affected by it we're you know along with everybody else we're not where we thought we would be from a volume perspective at this point in the year but when you you take a brewery that sells a ton of draft beer and stop making stop packaging beer and draft for you know, a quarter of the year that that's going to happen. We've seen great strides in our, in our can production, which has, which has been very good for us. It's, it's kept us afloat. Um, The level of commitment from, uh, from our packaging team and our folks on the can line in particular has been, has been amazing because as, um, as this thing hit and, you know, it was time for folks to, a lot of people, myself, I mean, I'm at home right now, you know, I'm in my son's room. I, you know, I'm not in the brewery all the time right now, but there are people that are going in there every day. Um, and as, as this thing hit and it was time for most people are thinking, you know, I'm going home and I'm not going to leave my house for three months. There were a group of people that, that came in and, um, took on more and that, there's certainly something to be said for that. I, I want to point out that the brewery's done a really fantastic job of being ahead of the curve on uh, on safety for all the employees. Um, as far as you know, the general question about craft, I guess I'm excited about watching the industry grow up. You know, I think that um, breweries, you know, the new breweries. It, people that come into this thing are, are there's so much more information out there than they used to be. There's so much better education than they used to be. You look at all the educational programs across the country for brewers. Now uh, people are coming in and they really have the tools um, at their hands to, to, to succeed uh, as challenging as it is certainly more tools than someone like Larry Bell had in 1985 when, you know, he walked in to banks asking for loans and people looked at him like he was you know, you you want to do what What do you want to do? You want to do what? Um, You know, the other, the other thing I think that I would uh, point out and certainly hope for, for the small brewers that are listening in is that, you know, um, small businesses can, can be resilient. And I think, I think, you know, um, you know, just hoping for the best for everybody who's, in their own situation, and that people find ways to be resilient. And um, what better industry to deal with a curveball than uh, an industry that has done nothing but throw curveballs for for the last forty years? You know. Um, so you know, we've been innovative in the way that we've made new beers and our new products and our packaging and all these types of things. And and it's going to take uh, innovative thought in an openness to a changing business landscape, you know, to, to make it through this thing. So I don't know if I, that's sort of another roundabout answer,
0: but um, I guess. I think that's, I I think that's a great place to, uh, to pull it to a close. Nearly 2000 breweries across the U S Canada and Mexico partner with G and D chillers. Old orchard supplies, juice blends from beer city, USA, Hopsteiner is your premium supplier for quality hops and hops products. Scott Fabricating invites you to take a ride on the Magic Bus. Historical Brewing Techniques, the Lost Art of Farmhouse Brewing, is out now from Brewer's Publications, and Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access. Subscriptions are the best way to support this very podcast. Uh, Andy, if people want to to learn more about you or about Bells, uh, where do they find you all?
1: Uh, www.bellsbeer.com, I believe, uh, is the website. I let's leave that in there. And, uh, if, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get you back. Now it, it, Bell'sBeer.com com is a, is a great place to learn all, all about our releases. And, uh, if you're ever in uh, Southwestern Michigan and can stop by our cafe in Kalamazoo, which is actually reopening tomorrow under, uh, under, um, obviously some, some, uh, restrictions in terms of how many folks we're letting in. Um,
0: you know, we would, we would love to have you. So, so that that's where you learn about Bells. Fantastic. Andy Farrell, Brewing Innovation Manager for Bells Brewery. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Cheers. 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 This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Brew.